This episode is sponsored by the publisher Griffin House. They have a lot of books for early childhood education. Go to their homepage, griffinhouse.com. G-R-Y-P-H-O-N, house.com. Welcome to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. Today we are going to listen to an interview that I have conducted with Susan MacDonald and we are going to talk about early childhood leadership. Enjoy the interview. Yeah, so welcome to today's podcast, and I am sitting here on Skype, and with me is Susan MacDonald. She's um, located near Boston, and welcome to the podcast, Susan. Wonderful to be here. And today we are going to talk about early childhood leadership, and we will particularly talk about a book that you have published. The book is called Inspiring Early Childhood Leadership. So what was your motivation to write this book? Well, I'm doing a lot of speaking and training um, nationally and internationally, trying to help leaders think of new ways to enhance the quality of their program. What we know about brain research and child development in the last 10 years has changed dramatically and how we're teaching and working with young children, unfortunately hasn't changed so much that there were many programs that were doing things the same way for 30, 40 years, just going through the same routines. And it was time for a big change. And we were seeing lots of initiatives in terms of quality initiatives, QRIS standards coming into play, new licensing requirements, and directors were not feeling necessarily inspired to make positive change. They were feeling really overwhelmed by everything that was happening. So I wanted to lay out a path for them to start seeing that they could do this and they could align with all that we know about the importance of early childhood in a way that made their program stronger and better for everyone, themselves, the teachers, the families, the children most of all. So, so you're actually focused on how they can transform or change their early childhood center. Yes, and as we know in any aspect of life, change is a scary word for people. And what they felt, people that were very solid educators, was that everything was changing and they weren't necessarily sure that they could keep up. So finding a way that helped them see what do we do with the strengths that we have as a program and all that we know while moving into a new way of being and working with children. And then you talk about in the book that you have eight strategies. So so, so on an overall level, what, what is kind of these eight strategies? 
Sure. The first one is really foundational. I found getting people to think about their vision for quality, what it would mean for them, for their program to operate at its very best, was an important first strategy for them to paint a vivid picture of what success would look like. Because then you can bring in all of the standards and all of the ratings and all of that into their story versus having them create a vision that aligns with the standards first. It becomes more of a strategic plan versus having this vision focus where their staff are really engaged with thinking about how do we make this the best that it can be. And that becomes a very empowering community activity, gets parents involved, teachers involved, the board involved. Really painting that picture of success is the first strategy. So the first thing to do is actually to gather the staff and, and also parents maybe in a common setting. Yes, I like to do um, vision boards. I like to ask the staff to create. I might give them a small like 8 by 11 piece of cardboard type paper and ask them to use pictures or words to describe the program at its very best. And when you, when you have a group of educators in the room, Doing this, whether it's 18 or 80 people, the power of hearing these stories, of seeing their vision, is really empowering to everyone. Um, and this sense of shared success, because even if you have 80 people doing this, you're going to come down to 10 or 12 key words or phrases that really shape that vision going forward. And what it does is it builds inclusion, that people feel like they're part of the story, that their words are being heard. So doing similar activities like that with boards, with parent night, getting people to have an input, and then making that very visible for people. Putting key words, putting the, the words up, the photos up in a common hallway, just walking in and seeing and thinking of us at our very best every day is going to be the key to creating any transformation. And, and, and you have done this several times with early childhood center. Are the visions kind of uh, similar to each other, or do you see a huge difference in this vision that they set up? Um, there's, common, there's common core values that show up. People want the very best for children. That is why they do this work. It's not clearly for the salaries. You know, that they're there because they want the best. And getting them to see that, that they're there to do this, to create change, to support children's lives, makes it a lot easier then to step forward with developing a plan to bring that to life in their program. Because you're tying it back always to what they wanted versus what a government official might have told them or a report or a standard. So the more they can connect with that. So the stories are similar, but they're also very unique to the context of the program. Doing an inner city project with a state-funded program versus a private um, small program, you're going you're gonna to see different threads of the story, but they are very similar. And it, it, is, it is something I do on a fairly consistent basis to, to launch a transformation project. So it's important for you to have them to contextualize the vision. Absolutely. Contextualize and visualize. Keeping it in front of them, because then when you move into the next strategies, they have that as the foundation. So the, 
The second strategy is really pivotal, is how are we infusing positive energy? If we get people to tell their stories of success, we need to show up with a mindset of success. We need to believe in all that's possible. So from leaders to teachers, that we're moving in a very positive upward motion with our journey versus what we've seen at times where programs are kind of sinking into a negative framework that they're, oh, this is so hard, we don't have the teachers, we don't have the budget, we don't have this. How do we keep the energy moving forward? So for leaders to start understanding the positive psychology research, to really understand that their actions and interactions shape what is going to happen in their program has been a very powerful strategy for people to start embracing. And, and for many people in the field, this is a new way of thinking and a new way of working. We've had a very deficit-based model. What's wrong and how do we fix it versus what can we celebrate here every day and how do we grow more of what's right and what's working? So is this similar to maybe professional learning communities or is it different? Uh, I'll get to that piece in a little bit, but it's just an overarching premise of how we're setting up our communication and bringing in positive communication and positive energy all across the program. Um, so the, the third strategy is about the professional learning. How do we start working with people to develop their individual professional development plans? If we create a vision in, in one program that's all about creating emergent, passionate curriculum for children, where children are engaged learners, where the provocations are rich, you're going to have teachers that have a whole different spectrum of skills in that area. How do we start setting up? plans where teachers can step into this new approach or a new way of learning or new way of designing their curriculum, new way of relating to children, so that we're setting goals with every staff member, that we're creating clear action steps, and that we're finding ways that their goals are supported, not just written, but that they become living part of our learning communities. So would you say that the director is crucial in this stage? The director is crucial. And whatever pedagogical leadership team, if there's an assistant director or an ed coordinator, that people feel that they're supported in their ongoing professional growth is fundamental to this transformation. We can't create great change in the quality of programs without changing the quality of our workforce. This is maybe particularly important in early childhood, whereas kind of in schools, maybe you also rely on the material and on the digital kind of helping tools. But, but kind of in early childhood, we use ourselves as as the tool, maybe much more. Do you, do you know where I'm going? Yes, absolutely. And I think having people understand that, that their, their internal framework, their ability to think on the spot, to think about what happened today in this classroom. These boys were building a bridge and trying to get cars to go over it with blocks. What was what was their problem? What could we help them figure out? What could I put in that area tomorrow? What new book could I put out there? Could I put a blueprint of a bridge? That they need to be fired up and passionate every single day because the world of early childhood changes every 20 minutes, you know, in a classroom. So how yeah. are we following these threads, observing, documenting, providing new materials, new ways of learning for these children has to be 
a deep-seated passion and something that they're always developing and learning. The next strategy is to ignite passion through engaged leadership. You were saying the leader is crucial. There's our next strategy. If the leader is showing up with all that we're hoping for with the teachers, able to observe, give feedback, support ongoing professional development, grow the teachers, we are going to see tremendous change. If the director is coming in and going into a managerial role of checking the budget, ordering the food, but not interacting with the staff and not bringing the staff to their very best level, transformation is going to be a long, long journey. So having leaders see themselves as transformational agents. I love the term. I started a bit of research. You know, leaders as climate engineers. How are they creating the culture and climate of their schools through their own actions and interactions? How are they modeling this? So when we see these leaders who are successful at this and who are really engaged in the process, everything turns around. So it's just, it's just maybe something about uh, what we sometimes call transformational leadership. Absolutely. We can't have quality transformation in programs without transformational leadership. And for many people, they came into early ed leadership because they were a great teacher. And someone said, oh, can you help out in the office or would you apply for this job? The director's leaving. But they have never been fully trained in leadership skills. So helping people understand that impact and their need to continually develop as a leader and become both a strong pedagogical leader as well as someone who's leading the organization. So I, I love to get people fired up about that and start thinking about their own growth. Yeah, and shall we move on to the sixth strategy? The sense of facilitating staff meetings, staff training, professional development, growing the learning communities. Here in, in many areas of the country, people have requirements for they need to have a two-hour staff meeting twice a month, three times a month. And people are going into those meetings with kind of laundry lists of who needs more paint or who needs this versus using every minute of our time with the staff to develop the skills that they need to to support this type of change, to bring their vision to life. So getting people to be intentional, to be planning, to linking back. If we know we have individual professional development plans for 20 people, we'll probably have about 10 common goals. Every one of those goals should be addressed during these meetings at a different point. So weaving them back into what we're doing with our time as a staff whether it's an individual classroom team, an all-staff meeting, a day-long retreat with the staff, that those be specific and relevant to what the goals of the organization are. Okay, I, I really like this kind of strict-based approach you're taking, and that's kind of also the next strategy, so that's to, uh, to use coaching techniques. Yes, I'm a certified professional coach. After many years of working with school leaders, I thought, they need a little bit more than, than training. They don't need just workshops. They need coaching. So I went back and got certified in a couple of different coaching programs around school transformation and try to bring that into the work with leaders all the time. Because if they can change the way they're questioning, the way they're responding, to move to a strength-based approach, to see the very best, if a teacher isn't up to the 
standard for her STEM curriculum. What's she doing with her literacy? She's amazing with books. So I might approach her and say, I'm really excited about the bridge building that's happening in the classroom. What books could you bring in? What resources? What stories could you read to the children that help them facilitate that? Because then she is bringing in her strengths, but also supporting the STEM curriculum and really helping kids think like scientists and engineers. So tapping into the best of who they are and helping them develop their skills from there really helps people feel empowered and respected and competent. And that's what we want for our teachers. Uh, is, is it necessary to kind of do, uh, how shall I say it, a proper coaching where you uh, set up an appointment or would you, would you do uh, coaching more kind of uh, on the everyday basis? I think as people develop coaching skills, and I think it's been one of the greatest gifts to my profession as well as to my family, the way we think, the way we talk, the way we interact should shine through in all of our interactions. So if I'm, if I'm observing something on a playground and I see a moment that I want to address with the teacher, to bring in these strategies in the moment, sit down and do a yearly review with the teacher in a formal one-hour meeting, these strategies are essential. So we're going to be using them day to day, and then we're going to be using them in a more structured way as well. And then we come to the last strategy, and it, it, it's a bit surprising for me that your last strategy is about embracing change. I would have thought maybe that should have been the first uh, strategy, but why have you put it last? Yes, you know, that is funny because I, I um, played with the – um, placement of a few of these things. I think sometimes what we see, and you've probably seen this as well, that people come together and they work, whether they call it a strategic plan, a continuous quality improvement plan, they work really hard and they get a plan together. And then it sits in a binder on a shelf. Nothing happens. And I wanted this work to be about creating those beautiful plans, starting with the vision and understanding where people wanted to go and creating the goals to go there. But I did not want it to end up on a shelf. So I want people to start thinking about how do they start living what they've created? How do they start embracing that change is possible? So all of this sort of can be interwoven throughout. But I have... Um, I'm certified in the Immunity to Change program that uh, Robert Keegan from the Harvard School of Ed developed, and really getting people to think about their own immunity. Even though they come up with all these great ideas, what's holding them back? People often slip back into the way they've always done it versus moving forward and really moving away from the status quo. So it is kind of a a positive ending jump-off point for people to start living this work. Maybe as you said uh, earlier that change can can sometimes be hard for people because they uh, yeah they can feel unsecure. So maybe it's it's important to do all these steps before you come to the change. Yes, and to know, and to actually understand what you're going to change. I think if you start off and you, even me, I'll call into a program for a consultant and I'll say, okay, here's what we're going to change. People shut down. When I say, what's your vision for success? When you think about this program and it's very best, 
What do you think's possible? Where could you go with this? If you were going to be on the cover of Young Children magazine for the program of the year, why would they have picked you? And people get really excited about telling that story of success. So this foundational work of appreciative inquiry, starting with positive, inspirational conversations, seems to work in a very magical way versus it's time for a change, which people kind of build their wall and step back and think, oh, no, not change. So, so uh, Susan, you have written this book in particular for early childhood centers, but do you think that some of these ideas could be used in social work settings and in schools as well? Uh, they can be used in any setting, honestly. I have a funny story. A, a friend of mine who is a dentist for many years asked me if I would come and share the strategies with her group of dentists. And I said, tell me why. And she said, you know, we're really good dentists, but we don't know how to manage our teams. We don't know how to support the people that work for us. We don't know how to think about what's next in our work. And I was I was really touched by that, you know, to think that, to me, dentistry seems like such a big gap, right? Um, but to know that these strategies, I think about adapting the book actually for parents. You know, parents, it's really hard, hardest job we'll ever have. But we don't always have a vision for it. We don't have a plan. We're not always using strength-based strategies and utilizing our time and adapting to changing worlds with children. So I think there's a lot of implications across fields to start thinking in this way and using these strategies to enhance the quality of lives for children, family lives, professional lives, lots of possibilities. It's very interesting, Susan, but our time is running up now. <laughs> um, uh, so, so you have uh, finished this book. Do you have any other book projects in in the future? Yes, I have one that sort of spurred the minute this one got launched, and I'm doing some interesting work on getting it together. I'd like to start a book on professional. Supporting professional accountability. What I've seen, and this relates to the change story, is that people will, will work with teachers. They'll start creating a plan. They'll start creating goals for their center. But they are not holding people accountable to living in a way that brings the plans to life. That teachers are slipping back into old habits. That leaders are stepping away from the vision. And how do we start in order to do what we know has to be done in this field, to align with the first five years of life being the most important in terms of brain development? How do we start helping people understand that these aren't good things to do, these are necessary, and that we all need to be living this in a very strength-based way, but that it isn't an option and there are ways that we can create strategies to move into this work so that everyone in our learning communities is living it with us. Um, and I've done some workshops and pilot uh, retreats around this with leaders, and they're really excited about uh, what I'm presenting. So that's kind of my process. I kind of have these ideas, and I bring them to the groups, and I share them as workshops, and then I get their feedback, and I continue to develop the ideas. So I'm just actually ready to put that book proposal. Thank you for participating in the podcast.
That's great. Well, I do want to share one last thing. I am taking this book and all of the strategies and a group of educators from all over the world on a retreat in Italy in June. And we will be just spending five days in this amazing village setting, being well cared for, but diving into each of these strategies as a learning group. And we have educators and consultants, a woman who runs a forest school up in Canada, just an amazing group of people. So all of that information and information about the book is on my website, inspiringnewperspectives.com. And um, I would love to hear from anyone that's interested. Thank you for listening to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. I hope you have enjoyed the interview and that you have gained some new insights into leadership. I hope that you will listen to the other podcasts in this series. A new podcast is being published on the first of every month. You are also welcome to join us on Facebook. There is a group called Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. If you just type in the name of the podcast in the search field in Facebook, you will find the group. Once again, thanks for listening and bye-bye.